Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our DevLife series. Hello, and welcome to the Codish podcast. My name is Mike Mondragon, and I'll be your host for this episode of Codish. Today, we are speaking with Ben Curtis about bootstrapping side projects and when they become real. Ben, can you introduce yourself? I'm Ben. I'm the, one of the co-founders of HoneyBadger.io. It's an exception monitoring service for web developers. I'm a web developer. I'm a big fan of open source. I live in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, I, I love all things tech. I think I should say, too, that uh, HoneyBadger has an add-on in um, the Heroku add-on store where you can include um, HoneyBadger exception reporting in your Heroku app. On one of the recent FounderQuest podcast episodes, you reminisced about how you found Ruby on Rails and being part of the Caboose group in Rails. Can you tell us a little bit about that again? Yeah, that was a fun time. So that was, uh, I don't know, 2004, 2005, that, that time frame. And I came to Ruby because of Rails. I read about it, I think, first on Slashdot. And uh, I was a PHP developer at the time. I've been doing web development for a few years by then. And the thing that I found just really fascinating about Rails was that it was building in all the things that I had learned as a web developer things like you know templating and uh, database abstraction layer and and things like that all these all these best practices that I had learned over the years were being baked into the framework and I thought that was just amazing and as I got to look more into rails I just fell in love with ruby uh, something had really clicked in my brain I had I had dabbled with python recently before being introduced to rails and I liked the idea of you know test driven development, I was reading uh, Kent Beck's book on that, and where he uses Python as a language, and um, I just fell in love with Ruby. <laughs> is is really the best way to say it. And so I stuck around, uh, started. In fact, I I uh, was so excited about Rails and Ruby that I decided I had to be doing that in my day job. Uh, so at the time, I was working in a shop that did Perl and PHP, and. I knew that it, there wasn't going to be a change there, and so I decided to get a new job. So I went and, and found a new job where I convinced the people who were starting up a new company uh, that we should use Rails instead of uh, anything else, and uh, the rest is history. I've been doing it since then. And uh, in the early days, uh, those years, I'd love to hang out on IRC. Um, you know, There wasn't much written about Rails since it was so brand new where everyone was learning at the same time. And IRC was the place to be to to chat with uh, people who were working with Rails on a full-time basis, people who were learning about it. And so ended up in uh, the Caboose channel, which was a great, just a very friendly atmosphere for uh, people who were having that same journey. Uh, And it was a lot of fun to hang out there and get to know more about Ruby. Like even even the documentation about Ruby, there wasn't a whole lot in English at that point. You know, there was a pickaxe book. Uh, So it it was really helpful to have people to chat with to get you know, resources, see the blog posts that were coming in and, and get pointed at those, and to to be able to help, as I was learning, to be able to help other people as well. It was, it was a lot of fun. So that that even predates the um, Agile web, web development with uh, with Rails. Yeah, like, yeah, it does. Okay. It was, uh, so, so when, when I first learned about Rails, there was no routing. 
<laughs> so the, the router hadn't been built yet. So that was still done with, uh, you know, HD access rules in Apache. Um, and uh, there was still this big question about how do you host this? Because at the time, like shared hosting was the main way that uh, stuff was delivered. Like if you if you did it in Perl, then you used Mod Perl. If you or just you know CGI. Uh, if you did PHP, of course there was Mod PHP, and uh, everybody used Apache. That's basically all there was, right? Nginx mm-hmm. wasn't really around yet. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was there was a lot uh, of, of change happening and and people trying new things and like you know um, fast CGI happened and and mongrel and just uh, it was it was a fun time. I I don't recall if I if we mentioned this, but your co-founders at Honey Badger IO uh, Starhorn and Josh Wood, you guys have a a podcast called Founder Quest, mm-hmm. and uh, I I think I've been listening to it from the first episode. I find it very entertaining. Oh, thanks. Okay. So, uh, side projects, um, uh, honey badger is a classic example of one of your side projects that became a business. Uh, do you, would you like to talk about that now? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I love doing side projects. I've been doing side projects for a long, long time. I, I find that like it, it helps to, get my creative juices out. Like uh, for some reason, like just having one project at a time doesn't like consume all my creativity. And uh, Star and I were working together at a startup in Seattle at the time that we came up with the idea for Honey Badger. And Star and I have been working together um, both as employees of this business and as freelancers together for, for many years at this point. And uh, we had many times kicked out like uh, talking about different ideas that we felt like we could we could do together. Uh, we always had an idea that we wanted to start something together, but uh, we didn't really have, until Honey Badger, never really had the thing that we felt like we just had to do. But uh, when, when we were working together at this startup, we had this experience with Airbrake. We were using Airbrake at the time to track the exceptions that were happening in our Rails app that we were building. And uh, there's just one day that we had uh, this error happen and there was no detailed data inside of Airbrake about this error. And that was, you know, frustrating because uh, I didn't know what happened. And so contacted Airbrake and asked them, hey, we see that there ha- this error happened, but there's no detail. Can you uh, tell us what happened to the detail? And uh, we got an email back from customer support saying, uh, yeah, we got an error, but there's no detail. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like basically it. And I thought, okay, you just quoted back my email to you. Uh, so I just kind of frustrated by that. And I turned to star and I'm like, you know what, this, this is not acceptable. Like, uh, we can do better than that. <laughs> and, uh, I, I felt like, you know, as developers, we deserve to have the best tools. And at the time that was not the best experience. And so, uh, star and I decided like, this was the project that we were going to do. And, uh, so we like within a few days committed the first line of code and just started working nights and weekends on it. Uh, a couple of things. So I re- when you were talking about getting things going with Star, like I I want to say, didn't you have like a image resizing service that you guys built out like just before this or within yeah. a year or two before? Yeah, good memory. Yeah, we yeah. Uh, we totally did. It was called Upload Juicer. And uh, yeah, it was one of those ideas that we had and we just knew we had to build something together. And that had a good start, but Transloadit was also launching at the same time. And then also Cloudinary launched around that same time. And and frankly, they were doing a much better job than, than we were. So we just kind of gave up. Right. I think sometimes as developers, we get hung up on the idea that, oh, somebody's already done it. 
right? So there's no room for, for me to do it. Why should I even bother? Uh, but, you know, even with things existing in the marketplace already, they're not perfect, right? There are going to be issues with them that, uh, that you have or that somebody else might have. And uh, like in an Airbrake's case for us, it was at the time the owners weren't getting great customer support. And so we figured, well, we can, we can do better than that. And maybe there's some other feature or whatever that you think you could do better. And I know I'm all about, yeah, sure. Take a stab at it. Why not? <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing that comes to mind when I, when I heard this story originally was that in software engineering, there's this idea of like BDD, you know, behavioral driven development and TDD uh, test driven development. You know, you basically writing your tests and, you know, having them fail until you have something that works, you know, that gives you good constraints to like not uh, overthink a, a problem. And to me, I, I, when I thought about like how you probably reverse engineered this of essentially pointing the air brake code at a, a service that you're standing up and, you know, slowly just going through and making sure each of the functions uh, worked, uh, seemed like a, like the ultimate uh, BDD. Is that, is that actually what happened? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. We, we actually, took i mean we were like i said we were using airbrake at the time so we had the the gym installed in our app and so what we did is we just stood up a, an endpoint that accepted the same exact payload and we just changed the configuration of our gym and our app to point to our new api endpoint rather than the official airbrake one and we just started from there and uh, for, a, for a long time and maybe even still today i'm not even sure uh we had an endpoint that would work with the airbrake uh gym and so we could actually tell people hey if you want to try us out, you don't even need to install our code. You can just uh, switch the configuration of your current code and point it at our new API and try it out. And uh, that was very helpful for, for some people. But that definitely gave us a starting point, a leg up on getting started, that uh, we knew what we needed to support, and, you know, like what kind of payload that would be coming in. And uh, that allowed us to say, uh, you know, like we knew the experience that we had with Airbrake today. How do we want that experience to be different in our own app and just start from there? How about like any pushback that came on that development process? I can think of like so many, there's like probably so many SaaSes out there that are exhibit the same behavior, poor support. They've published uh, their API interface, whether it be like in HTTP docs or, or actually, actually in, in software. How much pushback did you get from the community on, on the origins of Honey Badger? We did have a few people who were kind of cranky about the idea of us reusing that Airbrake client library. Not too many. I, a vast minority, I, I would actually say. Uh, most people are like, oh, that's kind of clever and appreciated that they didn't have to install something new to try it out because we were unproven. I mean, who knew you know, if we were actually going to be around in a month? Uh, but yeah, there were a couple of people that said, well, that's that's pretty stinky. Or we even had somebody like, call us thieves. It's like, well, I mean, it's an open source license project you know that actually the license has changed since we did it so um it was a little more lenient back when we started but i um, mean that's that's the point of open source right you get to reuse what other people have done you get to stand on their shoulders i mean it's not like we were going out and saying that uh you know airbreak was evil and they were you know killing babies or something <laughs> you know we're just using the code that they had published as open source i want to say that i heard on a, another podcast recently that Kubernetes kind of has the same origins in that all of the cloud providers want to have like a, a uniform system so that, you know, you potentially could switch back and forth between 
cloud providers and then they compete on like the the deeper services that they that they pro- provide does that sound sound about uh, right totally to you? i mean uh and i've been involved in open source um since about 1993 i guess uh i've been you know a linux desktop user for a long time and and that's to me that that is the ethos of open source it's we we share we put stuff out into the community because we want to contribute back to the world at least that's that's how i view it i know that there are different views out there but uh you know you don't you don't put something out and open the code and expect people to never look at it right or to to not build on top of it themselves that's that's the whole point of open source and to me that's the, one of the reasons why i decided to be in part of that community uh you know back back in that time frame like uh, microsoft was dominant in the in the tech industry it wasn't necessarily the natural choice to use Linux, you know, back when you had to install it with like 40 floppy disks, <laughs> you had to be pretty intentional mm-hmm. about wanting to do something different, something, you know, that uh, was a little bit out of the mainstream. And and to me, the whole appeal of things like Kubernetes and things like you know, Apache and, and Linux is that you, you get to see how it works. And then beyond that, you get to make it work in the way that you want to make it work. You know, you can make your own changes to it and, and do what you want with it. Let's kind of talk about like I'm a new developer or I'm I'm a developer that's always been focused on my company. Maybe there's I've had some entrepreneurial urges in in me. How would I like go about working on a side project if I'm, you know, working for somebody else at the same time? You know, my my first side project that I that I can call anyway was a test plan manager. Uh it Basically, I was working as a as my first or second job out of college, first you know, or second full time development job, and uh, I'm I'm slinging code all day long, and I'm curious on how I'm going to test this code. And uh, you know, at one job I didn't have any QA staff to work with, and at an- another job I did, and so I wanted something to besides Word documents that I could use to manage like test cases. And so I just built this little CRUD app that did that. Right, so. That's a, a long way of saying. Uh, I think you look for some some need that you have, or you you want to have something exist in the world uh, ba- based on what you're doing today, and you, you, that's a great side project, right? Um, you know, I never uh, did much with that particular side project, but it was it was fun for me, and it was uh, something that I found useful. So, like we started this conversation off talking about like the the shiny SaaS app on, on top of the hill, the honey badger. But I think like another, another example that I know that you have is mm-hmm. the rails kits, which isn't so much a SaaS, but it is, it was providing something useful to other developers, which were your customer. Do you, can we talk yeah, about that, that a little that bit? Totally. It started as a side project, uh, also like a byproduct of my day-to-day work. So at, at the time I was a freelance uh, web developer. I was building Rails projects for entrepreneurs. You know, basically what would happen? My typical project was somebody with an idea would come to me and say, "I have this thing that I want to exist in the world. Can you build it for me?" And uh, so we would work together to build that app. And what I noticed after doing you know several projects was that there was this common theme of like when you build a SaaS, you have to build the user management and the billing system. And so I thought, you know, instead of 
rebuilding this code again for the nth time, how about I just, you know, pull it out, extract it, just like Rails was an extraction from, you know, the original Basecamp work. Um, how about I extract this and, and make it into a product and see if people buy it? And uh, turns out, yeah, people did buy it. <laughs> so that again, that was like something I was working on in my day to day. I, I recognize, you know, this this need I had to be able to speed up my development time, and so I built that uh, out of this out of that work. That reminds me of other other projects and services that you built. Can we talk about uh, PackageBot? Yeah, so uh, PackageBot is the latest one that I worked on and just released that a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's very simple. All it does is it is an API endpoint for you to send from your Debian box or your Ubuntu box, uh, send a list of packages that are waiting to be updated. So if you you know if you hop onto a an Ubuntu server, it'll tell you, hey, you've got you know twenty packages that need to be updated, and you do an apt upgrade, and it gets those packages, and everything's great. Well, you know at Honey Badger we have I don't, I don't know thirty ish servers running, and they all run Ubuntu, and so they all have package updates, and I don't really want to keep track of that myself all the time by logging into them, and so. We've used Aptacron in the past, which is a great open source utility. What it does is it every day or every week, whatever you define, it checks to see which packages need to be upgraded and it sends you an email telling you which packages need to be upgraded. And so we do everything at Honey Badger out of Slack for our DevOps. Uh, and uh, we have those emails from Aptacron show up in Slack. And you know, emails forwarded into Slack just isn't the best UI. You can see them, but it's not great. Uh, so I decided I wanted that, but I wanted it to be prettier, right? And so I built PackageBot, which basically all it does is takes those package update information and then sends a Slack message to you saying, hey, server blah has these packages that are waiting to be upgraded. And then I can go and, and use Ansible or whatever to, to update them. So again, it was another one of these like little itch that I had. And it's like, oh, um, I built it you know, just internally first. And that was cool. And I was like, well, you know what? The, it's not going to take a whole lot more work just to slap Stripe on there and, and uh, do some billing. So how about I just push it out there to the world? And, and, and there it is. Let's back up. We keep on giving like good examples of like good successes. I, let's go back to the beginning. Like, How do you kind of vet out for yourself? You have an idea about something. How do you determine if it's a good idea? That answer to that question has changed for me over time. You know, when I did the first side project, that test plan manager, there wasn't really a whole lot of thinking, is this a really good idea? It was just, I just wanted it, right? And I had some spare time and I had the desire to write some more code and just build an app. And so, boom, like, I, you know, it was fun. Uh, so I guess if I would have sat back a little bit and thought about it, is this a good idea? Yes, it's a good idea because I want to have something to play with. It's a hobby kind of thing. Uh, you know, these days I'm a little bit more discriminatory with my time. Uh, you know, I have Honey Badger, which, uh, you know, feeds me and feeds my family. So I'm, I'm not like, you know, desperate for an idea that's going to get me out of the rat race, for example. Uh, so now it's like, oh, do I want this to exist badly enough to work on it, even if nobody else cares, right? Um, mm -hmm. To me, that's the criteria that I usually use to determine, if, is this a good idea? Do, do I want it bad enough myself? And I think it's it's totally fair to say, that I'm not going to work on something unless I can envision, you know, a, a thousand customers and paying me, you know, at least uh, $10,000 a month total MMR. If that's your criteria for whether you in, engage on a project, sure, that's that's great too. I think that 
takes a little bit more legwork up front, you know, because you you should do some market research and see if you can if that's actually viable, right? Um, that's mm-hmm. not just a hobby fun project anymore. That's that's something you want to turn to a business. So I think maybe the 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 shorter answer is I think you the first step is to, what are my goals, right? Um, what do I hope to accomplish with this project that I'm thinking about? Do I just want something that's a creative outlet? Um, do I want something to contribute back to the world? Uh, do I want something that's going to support my family? And, and those, you know, once you have that end in mind, then you can begin, I think, well and decide does this particular project meet those goals? So obviously you're a professional programmer, professional engineer, uh, but also clearly you like programming in your free time. So basically your hobby to some degree is what you also do to make a living. Definitely. Um, I know, I know I've heard you talk about like you do some road, you like to ride road bikes now. Yep. Is that right? Yep. So have you ever had to deal with like burnout or, you know, having your, what you do for fun, mixing up uh, your work too much? Yes. To both of those questions. I'll answer the first one, uh, second one first, uh, because that, it's the honey badger story. When when Star and I were working at that startup, we didn't really have an intention of leaving that startup. Like we we wanted honey badger, we wanted to build it, um, but we didn't. We weren't looking to replace our jobs per se. Um, we were happy where we were, but uh, honey badger got to the point, it got successful enough that we didn't really have a choice. <laughs> like uh, because you know, in the early days. We had, you know, scaling issues, uh, servers would catch on fire as we got new customers that were sending us a lot of traffic. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, I got to take a lunch break right now so I can go deal with these servers that are falling apart. Uh, and that's not fair, right, to, to, have, to have that kind of situation where you're, you know, stepping away from your employer paying you for, to do something uh, to go do your own thing, like, you know, uh, in the middle of the day. It's not fair to steal time, you know. But... Most of my side products aren't like that, so they're just you know minor. They don't take much time. And and the burnout question is, yeah, I've definitely experienced that. There are times when you know I'm, I'm working, uh, doing writing the code or or whatever DevOps stuff I have to do, and I get home and I'm like, I just don't want to touch the computer, right? I, I don't want to. I just want to get on my bike. I can't put forty hours of hardcore creative work in a week. I just, I can't do it. Like, um, when I get to four hours of deep thinking on code, uh, I'm done like for the day, uh, maybe, maybe five if I'm lucky. But you know, if you ask me to sit in a chair for eight hours in a day and be productively writing code, that's just, that's just not going to happen. I don't think that's realistic. Um, and so what we've, what we've done at Honey Badger, we've acknowledged that and the three of us are all like this. We don't we don't have unlimited energy to write code and be that focused. So, in our policy is again, since we're all remote, like we're not looking at each other across the desk. It's like, well, go take a walk, right, or go ride your bike, or go take a nap, or whatever. It doesn't matter. Just go do something. Um, if you're done, you're done. You know. Um, and and as we've been doing this for several years, realizing, you know what? Let's just make this a policy. So, our policy now is. Like we have a 30 hour work week at Honey Badger and, and how you do that work week is up to you. And like, do you want to do, uh, you know, six, five hour days? Okay. Well, great. You know, have at it. Do you want to do uh, four days of eight hours? Well, okay. Uh, that, if that works for you. Um, so, it's, and we're not strict about the whole 30 hour thing. You know, it could be, it might be 25 hours in one week. It might be 40 in the next, I, who knows based on, you know, whatever 
what every schedule is like and whatever needs to be done. But basically acknowledging that, you know, what we are not going to be uh, working productively 40 hours every week. So let's, let's just call it like it is and be honest with ourselves and just give ourselves the flexibility, the, the leeway to just stop. When, when, you, when you feel like it's time to stop, just stop. Let's talk about not all ideas are good ideas. And like a facet of that is, is like sometimes ideas are not at the, don't happen at the right time. Do you have any, uh, any experience with this? Yeah, I had a couple projects that just didn't work out. That one, that test plan thing at first was just for me. And then I thought, oh, maybe I could, uh, you know, sell this. Uh, and that just didn't work at all. And then I've had other projects where, you know, it was, it was for fun. And I thought, well, maybe I can do something with it and try it a little bit, maybe kind of half heartedly. And it didn't pan out. I don't necessarily regret the time that I spent on those things because I was building stuff and I was learning stuff and that was cool. And, and, and really I think a win enough, but so I think it goes back to the, those goals. Like, uh, if I would have been depending on, one or both or you know however many projects that haven't gone anywhere if i was depending on those projects to support me and my family those would feel like you know colossal failures because there's no way that they did i think being maybe just being a little easy on yourself like it's okay just to set out to, to have some fun there was a great presentation in railsconf 2019 by um searles and he talked about basically you know doing programming for fun. Like even, even if you're a professional programmer, it's okay to have fun with a, a side project or even a, a work project. Maybe that's kind of experimental, you know? Uh, so it's a great, great presentation. Definitely check that out. I, I thought it was really enjoyable. That reminds me of also like hearing, hearing you guys on founder quest talk about how your work-life balance is at honey badger. It seems like Josh really tries to adhere to like the um, a creator schedule. Um, it seems like he's real pr protective about not being like in you know in huge blocks of time where he has to be be at the keyboard. That he you know has a creative and flexible lifestyle. And I've heard you guys talk about like your how you handle vacation. Um, can you can you talk about your guys's uh, work work lifestyle? Yeah, I think. We have tried to optimize for enjoyment of life first. Uh, you know, we all have families and we all do enjoy spending time away from the computer. And so we, we decided early on that we did not want to have the, you know, prototypical uh, Silicon Valley uh, venture funded startup madness, you know, of 60 hour weeks or whatever. Uh, and that we wanted to have something that was sustainable, something that would uh, maintain our lives without consuming our lives. We also chose early on that we would be 100% remote because we did not want to waste our lives commuting. And that, I think those two choices have been instrumental in how we work. Like we try to work independently so that, you know, we don't have dependencies on each other. We don't have to coordinate closely, which means we don't have to be sitting in the same room, you know, talking to each other. You know, we've chosen a particular market to serve. Uh, you know, we, we don't try to sell to large enterprises, for example. That's that's not something that we're interested in and allows us to you know, be selective about how we, for example, run our support. Like we don't have to have an account manager who's going to be on the phone with large accounts, right? Because we've decided that 
we wanted to go for you know people like us, smaller uh, size companies, small teams, individual freelancers. And so all those choices kind of snowball into allowing, for example, me to go during the summer months to leave at you know one o'clock in the afternoon and go ride my bike on the trail for a couple hours. Um, or allow us to, uh, like Josh, like he said, he likes to spend big blocks of time just focused on code. Uh, so, you know, we just, we decided that that's the kind of company we wanted. So that's the kind of company we built. And, and for me, I think that, that really was the motivation for all these side projects. Like, um, even if I didn't have the stated goal of this one's going to support my family, it was always, I wanted my own thing. Uh, I, I enjoyed working for other companies. I've enjoyed, you know, the working for clients when I was doing freelancing, but I always wanted to have my own thing. And, and that's why Star and I were always on the lookout for what's our, what's the project that we're going to be build together. What, what is that? Uh, we, because both of us had that same goal of, of wanting that thing that was ours. And to me, that's, that's the beauty of what we do as developers, right? We have the the ability to take an idea and turn that into reality. All it takes is some typing. And I guess back to the open source bit, like with all those tools that are out there and with things like Heroku that make it easy to deploy stuff, you know, uh, having all these resources, all the, you know, blog posts and uh, all the papers that you can read about how to do whatever you want to do. It's just an amazing world that we live in, that we can we can create something out of nothing and we can have that thing and, and share it with the world. And, uh, and and if we're lucky, we, we have fun while we're doing it. All right, well, Ben, thank you so much for being our guest today on Codish. Oh, thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.